This is Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, this is today's episode of Not Another Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom, Senior Pastor at North Glencoe Baptist and I have with me today... Hey, everybody. I'm Donna, and I am the Women's and Children's Minister here at North Glencoe. And I am Matt, and I am the Student Pastor here at North Glencoe. So we are working through those Old Testament flannel graph stories that we all remember from Children's Church and trying to dig a little deeper and see some things that, that uh, maybe you missed. Um, and I actually had someone uh, who's a faithful listener to our podcast who wasn't questioning why we've chosen Abraham, but they asked me, why did I think Abraham was so important? Apparently, I've mentioned a couple of times how uh, important Abraham is, and and uh, I literally, he was like, literally, why why is Abraham such an important character in the Bible? So, what do you guys got? Yes. No, I'm just like, no, I'm just like, <laughs> well, I mean, you see, you see that this is, again, if everything, as we saw in, with Adam and Eve, there is the promise of the Messiah. There is a, a savior that is coming. There is an, an answer to the problem that, that we get to in every single story. There is an answer coming to our issue with pride we see that coming with adam and eve when when he says you know he will uh, the the you know, this, this snake will will strike your heel but, but but he will crush your he will crush your head and so we see that happening and then abraham plays a big part in that because we kind of get to see a not a vague but but, but an outline of how that's going to happen because we look at abraham and say hey look from you from your from from, from out of this 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 your lineage that makes up many many nations and, and all like that that, that this this family that will come and, and be more uh, numerous than the stars in the sky, that from this comes the answer to our sin problem, comes the answer to comes the answer to every issue that we have, that every issue that we talk about in these stories, which comes down to our pride issues and how we think it's all okay. The answer to those things is coming through Abraham. And as we'll see when, whenever we get through David, we'll see that kind of same promise happen. If, if the story of Scripture is all to let us know who God is and how we interact with him, Abraham is, an, is a big player in that story, in that piece, because we get to see a broad view kind of picture of how God is working that out to bring redemption to us, to his people. I, I think a few weeks ago when we ta- talked about it, it, for me, it's all... Um, this was a characterization I got from somebody else year, years ago that you start the Bible, you have these big stories, you know, the creation, the fall, the um, the flood, the, the Tower of Babel. We have all these big stories. And then all of a sudden, when we've gone from these big concepts and God has got everything established that, you know, he's the creator, he's in charge. This is what happened. This is why you are the way you are. And then he starts with Abraham as that singular person where we're going to start showing the lineage and the plot of mankind towards that Messiah. And Abraham is the one that God narrows in on. And visually for me, <clears throat> I grew up watching the Old West Western stories with my dad, and I can still see Old Western stories. They begin with these big, broad, panoramic views of, you know, the desert or something, and then it narrows down to that lone rider. Yep. And if this is going to be the guy who's going to be the main character that saves the day. And this is visually for me, every time I go back to Abraham as that lone rider, that he's the one that God narrows it down to. And, and broader picture, it's actually Jesus that would actually be that Savior. But Abraham starts the story. And and to tie that up, uh, that's a, 
exactly correct. And to kind of button that up, the reason why we're focusing on Abraham is in Matthew 1, 1, it says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeah. Yeah. And so God is, like we said the other day, has taken um, just a few chapters to kind of say, okay, this is everything before Abraham. And then starting in chapter 12, all the way to the end of Genesis, we're looking at Abraham and his his kid. Yeah, Yeah. and what they do. Yeah. And so it's, Abram is, if you think about the Bible as the story of redemptive history, this is the beginning of God pursuing his people. Mm. Yeah. And so here we, last week we finished up with looking at God as a God who sees um, and what that means for us uh, living our lives today that so easy to feel like God is not seeing. Um, but that brings us to a third telling of the promise with Abram, Abraham and the covenant of circumcision. This is where Abraham's name is changed. When Abram's 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. And notice how at first it was like, okay, so Abram, it's broad. You just go to the land that I'm going to tell you, and I've got a covenant with you. And Mm -hmm. now we're narrowing that down to um, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and there's responsibility with that. That's going to look like something. And so God lays out the covenant of circumcision uh, with Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and between your offspring after you through your generations for an everlasting covenant to be your God and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So then he tells Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant that you shall keep with me and your offspring. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. So what has happened here is um, brings us to that age-old question uh, that, that seems to be repeated through the Bible, the tension between God's sovereignty and God's calling and our salvation by faith and then our responsibility and the fruit of that faith coming out in the way our lives are different. I mean, I would say most orthodox denominations, those splits are about that tension. How much of my salvation do I... I I don't think anybody, even in Catholicism, would say you earn it, but how much of it is my responsibility to do stuff to get... And how much of it it comes from God, and I think even the most um, libertine person would say there are requirements that are placed on people who claim to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, even the world recognizes that because people who, in the South at least, really frequently say, "I don't go to church because they're it's full of hypocrites." Yeah. They don't realize that that very statement means that you're placing some kind of line there saying this is uncrossable line this is how Christians are supposed, to, supposed act. to act this way yeah this is how people who go to church are supposed to act and so I want us to to take there there are really two topics that we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about that that tension between 
what is the responsibility of man, the, the grace of God, and then we're go- go- going to talk about the, the, what a Christophany is. And so we're going to learn a little, little, little theology. Oh, wow. so, so let's, we, we've, got, um, we've got 50 minutes left, so let's go ahead and, and take that first one. So if y'all can answer the question, what's, what, what's the deal? I, what's the difference between Romans and James? I mean, come on, y'all, work quickly. Uh, <laughs> Matt, why don't you start us out? <laughs> I think in a, in a day-to-day context, I, I, I think if... I think if we were left to, if we were left, I think God, obviously God knows all. And as we talked about last week, God sees all. I think that at least speaking from like my own perspective, if, if I knew that I had zero part in, in the pursuit of, of, of my salvation through Jesus, like, and what I mean by that is if I knew that it didn't matter I could if I if I knew that I could go and do whatever I wanted, however I wanted to, and that was about the end of it, then that's exactly how I would go and do it. I mean, again, as Paul says, because of this grace that doesn't just go out and mean do whatever I want to and do whatever like I'm supposed to do. That's not that's not the point of it. The point of it is to become more like Jesus. And so I think part of me, uh, I've I know like within my own self, I've got to personally be held to a standard. Whether it be uh, at where it should be is because of the standard that that, that scripture outlines, or even even at the even in a con, a misconstrued kind of image of it. Even if what Tom just said, like if what others will think of who I'm representing or whatever, like it, the pressure of either or, I have to be held to some sort of standard, and I have to feel the pressure of that standard sometimes. Like I have to feel a little bit of I, I need to feel that tension a tad so that I will do the part that I'm supposed to do. And, and, and I'm not saying that, that, I, that it's all on me. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I, for me personally in my day-to-day, for me to know that, hey, you disappointed God. Like what you did yeah. is disappointing. What you did was wrong. How you said that was not okay. How you handled that, you were much more judgmental. And I have, I have, I have a... A, the judgment eyes right now. What I mean by that is because tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, I'm teaching on uh, judgment, and so I'm looking like and how <laughs> yeah. and how we shouldn't do that. I, I'm doing a series called Canceled, and one of the things Wednesday's theme is God canceled judgment. And we're looking at the story of the woman caught in adultery, and I'm looking at James where it's talking about judgment is absent of mercy, and that mercy triumphs over judgment. And looking at that, and so those kind of things, like when I. When I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do, when I'm judging people, when I'm when I'm hateful towards people, when I'm in anything but Christ-like to someone, and I'm convicted of that, and the Holy Spirit like shows me where I'm out of line on those things. I, there's when I feel that weight of the Holy Spirit convicting me, there's no doubt in my mind that okay, hey, you've got you've got a part of this. Like this is, this, this, this is, this is on you. This isn't God's fault. This isn't your fault. I mean, this isn't God's fault. This is anybody else's fault. This is on you. And I I guess that that's kind of where, like in the day-to-day aspect, when I feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, when I feel the presence of my Holy, the Holy Spirit in my life, both in a convicting way and in an encouraging and a strengthening and an empowering way, I know, okay, hey, I do have, there, where my heart's at and what I'm pursuing 
matters in this in this pursuit of Christ likeness, in this pursuit of Jesus, in this disciple making and being discipled kind of process. That it, I do, I do have a, I do have a part in uh, how I act, how I, how I speak, how I think, and ultimately where I spend my my, my time and, and where my foundation is held. It does matter. Otherwise, there, I mean, just in scripture alone, there wouldn't be any instructions on how to live because it would just be, hey, check this box, fill out this card, pray this prayer, take this magic pill, and <laughs> everything everything's cool. Like, I mean, it's yeah. not. It's not the hydroxy cut of no. of faith. Like that's not what it, that's not what it is, you know. But it don't didn't we? You know, we've already talked about this a little bit. It didn't we in the church often present it that way? Uh, yes, I, I have struggled forever when like <laughs> teaching when like walking through salvation with students or just in general of how to when you're in the when you're standing in the pulpit or when you're standing at an event or a conference or whatever, and like you have the like okay so. Uh, in a few in a few months in the summer, I'm I'm, t- I'm preaching at a a, a kids camp uh, for for Lifeway. I'm working for them for a, for a week, and I I've been reviewing some of that material. I try to read through it once a week, just as I'm preparing for it, so I can just kind of have that in my mind. And I, I'm trying to consistently go over the night where they really want you not to, want you to push salvation. Like, hey, this is the night that we, we we're going to present the that gospel. we're going to present yeah, the I gospel. That hand. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> and, but making sure I do that in a way that's not I'm not it's because typically there's like a couple of camps you land in. It's like uh, everybody in the room is going to hell if you don't sign a card right now, kind of thing. Like I don't want you don't want to be the hellfire and brimstone guy. You don't want to be Jesus. How, is what's my, the age group of this? Uh, it's like elementary. It's like, yeah, second through sixth yeah, grade. Yeah, so probably so like yeah. that's not what you want to do. And you definitely don't want to be <laughs> you know Jesus is my genie where you know I just come to right. him and he makes all my wishes come true. Like Jesus is my Disney Make a Wish kind of thing. Like that's not it. Or and, just because I raised a hand at VBS yeah. when I was in third grade. And re, and, yeah. and, and, yes. But also paying the picture to where my response is important and saying yes to Jesus is important. But that it doesn't just it doesn't stop there because I think that like with my generation for me that's where I think that it got so misconstrued was that I said yes to Jesus I signed a card I prayed a prayer I did whatever but then there was nothing afterwards and I think there's this and, and I think there's people like that in all uh, generations but I I feel like in my generation of this probably you know 1990s to early 2000s like that 10 to 12 year gap of, of students who were engaging the gospel it was say yes to Jesus say yes to Jesus what would Jesus do or and all these things but there was no inten- there was not a whole lot of intentional discipleship of what happens after this brother that so went goes what? back before 1990 yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I just been like speaking from my yeah. from my group like I, it just it feels like so making sure that how you present the gospel to where it's not just Hey, say this and everything is fixed, or respond to this and everything is fixed, or go talk to your leader, or go pray with one of the counselors, or whatever, and everything is fixed. How, how, how I struggle to present that, to present the gospel accurately, and to where it, you understand the full picture, but you understand that this is something that you have to have in your life because you need you need a savior, and everything else you turn to can't do it. So fi- finding out, like sharing the gospel from the pulpit, sharing the gospel in general is is not easy like it's difficult because you want to make sure you want to give it the credit that it's due you want to give it the respect that it's due that it that it deserves and teaching that to a second grader or a 200 year old or whatever like it's difficult <laughs> it's not easy and because i don't i don't ever want to screw there's up there's a lot of questions to it and yeah. why it's not easy is because we do not fully grasp yeah. god so for me when you asked that question my mind went a little uh, you know it, it actually went back to um 
Spurgeon, and, and I've heard it from Tom and I, you, you and I have had discussions. I've been to conferences before where it's been talked about, but the sovereignty of God and the will of man and those two things, how do they meet up? How do they match? Um, so how I'm living it out and how much God is doing in me and working through me and, and those two things and trying to figure out the why. So um, I was an adult before I got saved. Now I had been nine months in the womb, had been in church all of my life had, you know, I got baptized four times, I say before it took. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, really and truly what it was for me was it became a surrender issue and, and pride, you know, it goes back to that. Um, but as I worked through that and after I had surrendered to Christ and started really looking at my life and started asking questions that I never cared to ask before because loving God or pleasing God was just a matter of, you know, don't drink, smoke or cuss kind of thing, you know. Um, it's, it's pronounced drank. Drank. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I probably did <laughs> pronounce it that way. But um, that for me, it became a thing there. So trying to work out how that happens both in my life and when I'm discipling and teaching or leading or um, loving other people as we go through this life together in Christ, trying to figure out those two things. I, I think of um, like one time, this has happened more than once, but I would use one example of parents who came to me and they wanted their child to be saved and they wanted to save him. That right. We were having this discussion, and I realized that as I was talking through this with them, they they were rightfully concerned about their child's eternity, but they were trying to take it into their own hands. They were trying to save right. him. Like, if we present it the right way, if we talk to him the right way, he loves us, he wants to please us, then surely he's going to accept Christ, right? And so I had to walk them through. You realize that you can't save him. You can't save him. Right. But you're a Christian, and you know the God who can. I couldn't imagine that as a parent. Like that would be such a difficult. It is. That would be it such is a because your your heart cries out yeah. for your child. E and even if like understanding that, like even if like right now I understand that principle completely, but I can see if I have kids one day, like that's. And, uh, and I, it, I, I don't. I, that would be really. That would be a really difficult. And I've balance. had more than one conversation like this, and each one, each time, it breaks my heart and tears my heart up. You know, because I realize that because I'm a parent, yeah. I have three kids who I'm saying these prayers for, and you know, and concerned about. And then another one was I had a friend who called me um, not long ago, and we had a whole discussion, and she was concerned about um, some of her extended family. She had some family who was not following after Christ. They had children. The children were growing up and not following after Christ. Um, and there were consequences to the actions of her family. Um, what the adults had done, what it was leading the children towards and where it was taking them. And her heart was just broken for them because she knew that the choices that had been made by her extended family were carrying to the next generation. Sure. Yeah. And it was going on and she could see it and she could not stop it. And for us, we all have you know, kind of grapple with that. Um, how much can I do? How much is dependent on me? Do they see my witness? Are they watching me? Even yesterday, Pastor Tom, in, in, as we're recording this today, we just had a baby dedication here at the church. And Pastor Tom does a charge to the parents, to the church, to the children. He does all of that, you know, as we walk through that. And each one of those is a charge of, are we going to come alongside them? Are we going to lead in the way that we're supposed to? Are we going to respond to Christ's call on our life, whether it's Romans or James? You know, are we going to do the things that we are called and supposed to do to um 
to care for those who are around us, to lead, to disciple, to do all that. Anyway, I tell you both of those stories, whether it's from a, a parent perspective or a extended family members, just people we love. It can be your friends. It can be anybody. But we so want to take it in our hands to save them and without realizing that what he calls us to do is to live it out in front of them, to give that to where they hunger for whatever it is in us that gives us peace and comfort and that we look and knowing that our hope lies in Jesus. Now, bigger, broader picture even than that particular section of it is, I go back to the Spurgeon quote I mentioned earlier about it being the um, parallel train tracks, um, that you know one is the sovereignty of God and one is the will of man. And that we have we struggle with understanding those two things, but they run parallel and they only cross at the foot of the throne where God sits and we'll understand it with him one day. You know, that's that's kind of where I go with that, because I I don't see those two things as being um, you you kind of find kind of hard. How how do I make them compatible? You know, well, and Spurgeon's quote is actually starts out with it's not my responsibility to reconcile friends. They're not necessarily contradictory that God is the one who's pursuing, that God is the one who's. I mean, here in that we saw in Genesis, it was God who came to Abram and said, All right, it's what we're going to (laughs) do. So, yes, they're they're not necessarily contradictory. And and I think that, you know, on its face, Theologically, it's easy. I say easy. Well, you know, well, there's like fifty <laughs> <About> theologians <different laughs> for generations uh, yeah. of centuries. For me, it's easy to reconcile in my mind uh, to whiteboard it out. Where where the the tension really happens is in in my life, mm-hmm. where on the one extreme, it's those disciplines of I need, whether I feel like it or not, I need to be in God's Word to recharge my batteries. But at what point am I just putting a check in the box that's not going to be spiritually edifying? We cross over a line. And at what point am I becoming hypocritical? And and even with my, you know, going back to your kids, uh, as I struggled with that with my own children, um, at what point are you creating little hypocrites? I mean, yeah. whether you feel like it or not, you're going to get in there and do your Bible study kind of a thing. And, and all that to say, I, I think that that the one of the apologetics to me that proves that the Bible is from God is this is not a system that a human would have put together. No. There's a I, whole I, lot I, more outs if I, if I structure this, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> right. There's a yeah. whole if lot I more loop. There's it. a whole lot more loopholes <laughs> yes. if I'm in charge of this bad boy. Let me just, let me yes. just say it. Because God starts with the premise that we can't earn it, that there's nothing that we can do to earn his favor, to earn his mercy. And so I think the reason why Jesus kept emphasizing You've got to come to me like a little child, as I, as I talked about yesterday in the sermon. It, yes. it, the point of that is you don't come to me with the attitude of, aren't you glad that I'm on your team? Mm. Aren't but you? don't we do that? When you said that yesterday, I thought, mm, God. Do I have days where I think that way? And being the hero of my own story, which we've I mean, talked I'm on, about. I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the fir- first string team, Jesus. I'm just <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, I'm a, and, I'm and God is really string. lucky that I decided not to, not to <laughs> bat up for the other guy. Yeah, I mean, 
I could have drugged some folks down with me. I, but yeah, I said, you know, you said that yesterday. I thought, God, there are days when I think that I think that way and, and realize that. And how bad is that? How, how bad am I? That's one of the things that, be, and, and, I, and I, my heart is filled with this of the enemy using good things, like, Team G, all like you, we should using, be Team Jesus, yeah, but then thinking that we are using, giving anything using good to Team Jesus, to, <laughs> using good things to to take my mind and my, and my attitude into a place of pride because I'm better or because I'm, I'm like I mean I'll to, to turn my nose up because of what fill in the blank uh, and, and usually using good things to do that. When you because, handle a conflict well and then you walk away, you know, kind of going, well, you know, of course I did. Yeah, <laughs> I know? mean, of course. What would then, you, I am well, so proud of my humility. Yeah. <laughs> so and then I think, oh, gosh, yeah. how quickly I turn from I'm doing it the right way to he takes that and then I'm doing it all the wrong way. Yeah, you I mean, know? I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not doing drugs or I'm in, I mean, I'm in church. I'm in all these things and I just handle everything so stinking well and. You know, just, you just, just, I'm about to marry my fiance. Yeah, I mean, all this I stuff mean, I got. Know. I just got all this stuff going for yeah. me, and so <laughs> graduated college. Yeah, but, congratulations, Matt. Thank you. But using good things to take me to a place of pride and arrogance and self dependency, and again, this quote and it stuck with me for weeks, and I said it almost every time on the podcast. But pride is a functioning atheism, and when I think of that. And realize that, and, and all and all that saying is, you're saying that you've got it, that you can handle it outside of God. And when I, and when I think of those moments when, in my head, I feel that like things going on, I have to like, I have to wire into myself of taking back to the moments where I know that I could not have gotten through that without the mercy and the grace and the provision of. Or God. when I do something right and realize that on my own I would not have handled yeah, it that way. Yeah, I mean, way. like that's. Yeah. I, I gotta if realize the, to the me, situation's yeah. one and the same. It's not like he left me and like, okay, you're trained now. You probably got it. Like that's not what I'm happened. gonna move on to the next person <laughs> yeah. who needs me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he didn't. Mean, like I wasn't a journey. We're done with the training montage. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it's time, <laughs> you're past it's time to win. Yes, that's, it, it was. You're past stage three. You get the crown. Absolutely. Like that's <laughs> not what it was. And realizing that it's the same. It, it's the same path. We're just further down one way or the other. Yeah. How quickly and how easily God can take it. I mean, Satan can take a bad that uh, that or take a good that God has done and turn it into something bad. So, I think. So, so I, for me, me. The, on the theological side, the way to reconcile all of this is is that we're saved unto good works. It's not our good works that saves us. Yeah, yeah, and so. But we've got to recognize that God saved us to make us a new creation, a, new, a, a holy priesthood. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says um, that the new covenant is defined this way. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. And so in the book of Hebrews, the whole idea of Christianity is that he has saved us so that we could fulfill the law because outside of the Holy Spirit's work, we could not. It was impossible. So the Holy Spirit was a schoolmaster, uh, to use Paul's term, to both protect the children of Israel so that Christ's seed could come from it and to show them that 
they couldn't do it. You you can't approach any of the Ten Commandments and go, I got that one. That's one I can put a check in the box. But don't we sort of do that? I mean, don't we have days where we look at it and we go, well, I'm not really, I'm, I'm honoring my mother and father. I, I'm doing a pretty good job. And we until we dig a little deeper. Until you actually have to spend time with and your mother then, and father, yeah. and then you go, oh, wow. <laughs> I love my mom. But, yeah, I mean, we all, Well, I, I mean, we don't want... I, I, I love my parents as well, but there's no way that I could live in their home right, b- right. because as my adult, pride and arrogance, yes. there's no way <laughs> that I could handle mama telling me what to do. Again. Yes. yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we can't we can't put a check in a box. And, and the ones that we thought maybe we could, you know, I hadn't murdered anybody. <laughs> well, yeah. Jesus took care of those. Yeah. Yes. I've never actually of, uh, committed <laughs> adultery or, or really big one. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> never murder anybody. Like this is that him, I don't know who that was, but I just think that's I think that's just a really funny imitation of somebody somewhere. No, I, that After comes from I got the opportunity one time in North Carolina to to go with a group of people in a prison. And so that day I was around some very hard yeah. knows criminals and my purpose of being there was to share the gospel mm-hmm. and so the kind of the, my method for evangelism has always been um to ask the question if if you were to die today and you stood before god and he said why should i let you into heaven what would you tell him and so people who were murderers would always say well i've never i've never hurt a child they they would they would create their own litmus test that they hadn't violated. They had a boundary that they felt like they were not going to. And so if you're in my the murder, my murder was a good murder. Hold on, it was like I murdered I murdered a bad person. Well, <laughs> I, I will tell you that I guarantee you that if you went up to Hitler and shared the gospel with him using that methodology, he could find somebody that's worse than him. Yeah. I, you know what? Mussolini's an idiot, and he's a he's an. I, I mean, Pharaoh was a jerk, guys. Let me just hold. <laughs> just just listen up. So we if we're justifying ourselves in our own mind, we're always going to. May, may make our own qualifications yeah. unless we get honest with ourselves. Because one of the things that the reality is, is in, in our the deepest of our hearts, when we're laying in bed at night, we don't meet our own moral standard. We can't live up to our own, whatever that moral standard is. No matter where, if you don't believe the Bible, you've got a moral standard. You may not know where it came from, but you've got one. And let me tell you what, you don't live up to it. You disappoint yourself. That's part of the human experience. So, we're saved unto good works, and so as we function as new creations, we're, we, R.C. Sproul calls it a circle of praise, that God takes us out of the world and saves us and puts us back in the world where we're living holy lives, and we know that we can't do that on our own, and so our lives become to the honor and glory and praise of Christ. That's the reality of it, but as we look at Abraham here and as I look at Tom Harrison's life, I see where the rubber hits the road. That comes back to that daily dying to self because every day I got to fight this battle. Who, who? Hey, hey, God, did you see me right then? Like, like we're saying last week, I did something really good. I did did not hit that guy in the head with a two by four, and I was eyeballing a two by four. <laughs> so I could have. And my own kids, you know, well, Dad, it's not like I'm all these other kids at school are sleeping around and doing drugs, and I'm not doing that. Why are you getting on to me for insert thing that they didn't do that they were told to do? I didn't do the dishes. What's the big deal? And we do that to God because that this is just a little thing, God. I'm not out cheating on my wife. I'm a I'm a pastor. Cut me some slack. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) 
Sound like Will did. <laughs> I was going to say Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> that's, what I was, that's what I thought he was going for. But, but also know, Will. Oddly <laughs> enough. Will's, Will's watched Napoleon Dynamite, Dynamite quite a few times. Okay. Oddly enough. I see I a picture now of Will sounds a lot like Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> but we, you know, for kids, part of what I do with children's ministry, and part of this may throw in with you coming up on your camp, is one of the things that I have to do is deconstruct the ideas that they have in their mind. Kids, a lot of them think that if they're going to follow Jesus, then they have to be perfect. So if they're not perfect, and it's, I'm sure it's with adults too, um, but uh, if they're not perfect, then they're like, maybe I'm not really following Jesus. And so we have to kind of take the time every so often. And I'll, I'm talking with a kid individually when I want to go, you know, here is what reality is. Here is what it looks like. Well, because kind of like what you said, and, and to sum it up in a way that I would tell students is doing the right thing doesn't make you a, a Christian because there's a tons of believers. There, I mean, not believers. They're there highly are a ton moral of, people. There are a ton yeah. of, of religious beliefs and whatever that teach you to do the right thing. And, and, and I, th- I think I taught this when I was teaching through Proverbs a, a few weeks ago or months ago or whatever, is God didn't save us so that we become little moral robots. Like that was that's not the purpose. And I think that so many Christians on a surface level, and even me sometimes, like if I'm – if just – because that's just what we equate it to is that it's 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 just simply right and wrong and it's simply not just right and wrong because there are a ton again of belief systems that say that the basis of this is to do the right thing or do what we say is the right thing or do what we say or don't do what we say is the wrong thing and for us it's not about it's it's the the baseline like when we when we get saved it the the absolute foundation is yeah, I mean, it's kind of implied you're you're not going to do these things that obviously, like the Ten Commandments, don't murder folks. And then when Jesus talks about don't murder folks in your head, don't murder folks in your head. Like that also becomes the baseline, not the end goal. And mm-hmm. the end goal is completely different. And I think that's the thing that sets Christianity apart is, like you said, like that circle coming back around to the glorification of God is when I'm now pursuing Christ-likeness, when I'm now being discipled and trying to become a disciple, and, and all of those things, when I'm pursuing Jesus without any other in in theory, any other hindrances or anything else. So when I'm pursuing Jesus at all costs, now that's what we're after, not just So we've got that proverbial pendulum that swings either way. You you you're having to having to teach and look and look at your own life and your heart from uh, am I being just a a rule follower, highly moralistic to Am I understanding that the depth of that is doing the right doing the right thing could be just that, or and I don't always do the right thing as a Christian, or am I finding that middle ground where I realize that I look to Jesus, yeah. that ultimately I look to Him because I can be either a really great rule follower or or not, but that doesn't save me. Well, and if if we start at Genesis and work our way all the way through the Book of Revelation, we see that all of this redemptive story is about magnification and glorification of God on a mac- macro level. Clearly, um, as, as Hosea, I think more better than our, in a way that viscerally can grab our attention, going and getting his wife who continually whores on him and him physically going and buy, get her life getting to the point to where Hosea has to go and buy her from an auction block and bring her home. Yeah shows us that God is the pursuer, and the purpose of the whole story is, in Revelation, all, an innumerable group of people, and the language is on purpose, 
mimicking the language of, of Abram's family, where they can't be numbered more than the seas can can more than the sand on the sea, more than the stars in the sky. So the prophecy is fulfilled, are standing around saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's all about glorifying God on a macro level. And then on a micro level in my life, I think if I live my life and and I just make everything that I do consciously, day by day, hour by hour, reminding myself that my life is soli deo gloria, that my life is being lived to God's glory, not to Tom's glory, not to build a kingdom at this church, not to, it's so that God gets the glory and, you know, riding on the back of my hand regularly, love God, love his people, die, be forgotten, kind of thing, to remind me that it's not about me. Then, on a micro level, then I do those things that, I, that, that I'm supposed to do. That's going to have an impact on the way that I live my life. The point is the glorification of God, not me not cheating on my wife. It's recognizing that me living the life that I'm supposed to brings God, God's glory. Put, putting myself into perspective in relation to God in my mind, that I'm working through and, and getting to a place of humility where I realize I'm not the hero of the story. Um, and it it's not dependent on me. But as my love for him grows as my Savior, then I want to behave in ways that glorifies him. It, it, and, you know, in the, in the, the picture of the saints around there, they earn the crown. But they throw them at his feet. It's right. about him, not the crown. And so in Abram's life here, God is saying, I want you to be set apart and be different. Now, we said this was um, these stories for adults, but I, and I'm just going to say this. The, the, the covenant of circumcision is um, God's way of saying, I know what controls you, big man. And I want you to mark that to show me that you're mine. And you can't not read the way that circumcision plays out in the Old Testament and not chuckle and go, yeah, God knows us really well. (laughs) I imagine that hits differently for a man than it does for a woman. I'm just glad I was a kid. (laughs) I mean, as God says, this is is how we're going to let the covenant be known. Abram's like... Wait. I've heard so many comedy. I've heard so many comedy bits about that conversation. Can I cut off a and finger? It is not necessarily like crude or anything. It's like, uh, God, do we do we get a, wait? Do we get a bad connect? Like, does that, did I read that right? Like, did I? Did I? Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I don't know even know what to throw out here, but I mean, you know, is this one of those where he goes back to him like three or four times, going, "Are, are you sure this is what?" what I mean, is he putting a fleece out here? I don't really you need know? this thumb. You know, like if you just want to, <laughs> this thumb's not that big of a deal. I've got a pinky toe that'll go. You want a kneecap? You want a you want a tooth? You want any? You want a you want a you want a rib? You took you you used some ribs earlier. You want a rib? I mean, any, I mean, I, we got a lot of stuff. So God definitely gets Abram's attention, changes his name to Abraham. God says to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall now call her Sarah. Um, And I'm looking in my Bible because we don't know Hebrew well enough to know why those are important. Um, I've heard five or six different definitions of Abram versus Abraham, father of a nation, father of many. 
Um, Sarah and Sarai are both mean princesses, but one is of a larger group, maybe. I think that's extrapolation. Here's what, what we can tell from this is God places a mark on them to the point that it changes their name. When God saves us, we become different people. Yeah. Uh, we become new creations. And um, I, in some cultures, I know that... Uh, having done evangelism in the nation of Nepal, because most people's names in Nepali are, uh, are false God-centric, uh, when you become a believer, it's kind of understood that everybody adopts a, a different name. Um, and I, I thought that was really cool. It was very difficult to, mm-hmm. in preaching and teaching, and my pr- primary job of being there in Nepal was to uh, teach pastors. And so I'm everybody's name is... Abraham, uh, Barnabas, Paul, and so I, I felt like I was living in a flannel graph because mm-hmm. everybody has a biblical name, and so I, uh, at one point, they, they get together and they say, well, we want to give you a Nepali name, and there's a name-changing kind of ceremony similar to baptism that they do, and <clears throat> and uh, I'm like, well, my name's Thomas. It's already a biblical name, and I've met three Thomases here, so no, no, you got to go through this, <laughs> and so they picked my name, which I was James, this one of the Sons of Thunder, because I had they heard me <laughs> preach, which I got to say, kind of pumped my ego up a little bit like that. I'm like, okay, I, I can go for that. Um, and my friend Patrick was John because we were, we were the preaching teachers, mm-hmm. so James and John. But regardless, um, their names are changed. And then uh, here, Abram laughs when God said, Abram asked, can, can, can we go back to my attempt to help you? Can, can uh, Lot be the son of promise? Can, can, um, can we do work that? How are we going to work this out? And God says, no, you're going to have a child. Abraham laughs. And then a little bit later, Sarah's going to laugh. And so Isaac's name means, uh, some say he laughs, some say laughter. It, it, his, his name's Giggles. I mean, <laughs> God is making the point here that y- you don't have a whole lot of faith, which kind of leads to one of the things that that as we talked about the the difference between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, the free will of man, and all that that conversation, I think that it is important to to um, how did Abraham have righteousness counted toward him? How did he to use church terms? How how did Abraham get saved? And and I think that. The answer to the question is laid out very clearly in Hebrews chapter 11, that he got saved the same way that you and I did. We look back to the finished work on the cross and say, we trust and believe that God did a work through his son and took the penalty for my sin. And we trust God with that, and we obey him even when we don't understand it. When God's word says something, we obey it. That's just part of being a believer. When people try to, well, I, we don't have time to get into that. It's just we trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, trust and obey. And obey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abraham gets saved the same way. God says, hey, get your stuff and move. And Abraham says, yes, sir. God says, here's how I want to establish my covenant. And God, Abraham says, yes, sir. Even when he doesn't, I think that that the fact that he doesn't understand how God's going to do it, and he's still trying to negotiate with God. He's still trying. So he's to, not doing it perfectly. He's not doing it but perfectly. He's doing it. Yes. Well, that'll yeah. preach. Yes, it will. <laughs> that'll <laughs> preach. Yeah. 
In fact, same. Trying. How do I be good? Trying. Yeah. And it's not, you know, um, we're going to get to the difference between the faith of Jacob and the the faith. We're we're trying it enough always, but it's it's listening to God, believing what He said, and and trying to follow Him. It is said of Abram that uh, God led him as he was in the way. And so we hear God, we get in the way, we start following him, and God's going to lead as we do that. And so um, then <clears throat> we, we, we get through that. God reiterates his, his, his um, covenant with Abraham, and then we get to this Christophany. And I want to talk about what a Christophany is. Okay, so a Christophany is the uh, fancy theological term for Jesus before the incarnation, before Jesus was born to Mary. So when I say Jesus, I mean the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Making an appearance. Making an appearance. So as we look at um, the Lord, and if in your Bible, if you have, have uh, an English Bible, and it's Capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase e, that is just the Hebrew word L. It just means a God. It's kind of like our lowercase g-o-d, um, that Zeus was a God. He was a super powerful being. Uh, if you see— You're a, thinking Lord of the Manor yeah. kind of phrasing. Yeah. Super boss. So if you see uh, as where it says the Lord appeared to Abram by the oaks of Marmaray— and it's uppercase L, uppercase O, uppercase R, uppercase D, in the Hebrew, then that's going to be Yahweh, God's proper name. When Moses, much later, comes to God and says, what's your name? Who do I tell the children of Israel you are? God says, tell them Yahweh, which is in English, I am, has sent you. That is God's proper name. So we see with these two two angels, three men show up. Two of them are angels. What's your biblical address for those who might want to pull out their Bible? Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 18. Um, and the Lord appeared to him. So if any time in the Old Testament there's a physical person that either calls himself God or the the narrator who is inspired by the Holy Spirit calls him God, then that is a Christophany for this reason. The Father, Jesus tells the woman at the well, is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. God is a non-seeable entity. So anytime there's a physical manifestation of God, there's a person that the the Holy Spirit-inspired narrator says, and this is the Lord, um, that is a Christophany. That is the second person of the Trinity. When Moses is put in the cleft of the rock. That's Jesus. It, now, the question comes, did he look like Jesus would have looked in the first century? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, if I was hiring actors, I'd use the same actor. <laughs> yes. um, I'm pretty sure the flannel graph characters were the same, which answers the question for me. But yeah, but that's that's kind of hairy, though, because some of the flannel graphs, uh, you turn them on the other side, and yeah. all of a sudden, oh. Thomas was also, you know, Daniel, and it's like, hold on, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, Daniel <laughs> always had the big beard that was squared off, the kind yes, of the, the yes, Babylonian yes, beard. Yes. I think Daniel was Herod in the New Testament. I think maybe, that maybe. I think that character, 
so um, what ends up happening is is the narrator refers to him as Lord, um, and then he refers himself as he's talking of himself in chapter 18, verse 14, is anything too hard for Yahweh? And so he's referring to himself as Lord. And so clearly you've got two angels, even though there are all three in the text referred to as angels, um, that the narrator in the beginning and in the middle refer to as the Lord. And these are Christophanies. These are the second person of the Trinity showing up in the scene. Now, uh, when we get to the stories of Jesus, which at the rate that we're going will be probably 2025 range, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I right now am reading a book about the uh, that's written about the the Saturday, Holy Saturday, and there's several reference notes to the importance of the continual incarnation of Jesus. That pre-incarnation Jesus was coming in and out of human story, but in a different way than he does in the incarnation, and that when he ascended, he ascended in his body. And I'm super excited to, this is, this is a part of my faith that's growing right now as I'm studying and learning this. Um, and uh, one of the, uh, our, our, our children, our, uh, our nursery uh, director's child came up to me a couple of, uh, about a year ago, and said, what's the only thing in heaven right now that's man-made? Um, and I could tell she, that somebody had, you know, this was a stump the pastor kind of question that she had heard at oh, school. That, this was completely from her dad, just yeah. by the way, just from <laughs> just from knowing, just no, that was her dad. Her dad, her dad told her this, to yeah, this. 100%. Yes. And so, uh, and the answer to the question is the scars that Jesus has. He's the only scarred thing in heaven, mm. and it's the only thing that man made. And so... Um, and she was very disappointed that I answered the question. It was, oh, man. You really burst that bubble, didn't you? <laughs> she was ready. Yeah, she was. She came in that Wednesday afternoon and said, Pastor Tom! Ah! <laughs> um, so we're going to deal with that. But this is a pre-incarnation. This is showing that God is breaking into human history, that all of human history is part of God's plan. As we were, uh, in the last two weeks on Wednesday nights, I've been teaching through the intra-testamental period, the time between the end of the Old Testament and the starting of Matthew. And one of the things that I wanted to emphasize and I really wanted to hammer home is even though God's Word is silent during those times, God is still in control. That Alexander the Great's coming had an impact that would be felt in the life of Jesus, that Rome's involvement in the, the post-Maccabean rebellions. The Maccabees and all that, yeah. That, that God was still, still writing his mm-hmm. story. And God is no less writing his story today in my life and your life. Um, so I, I guess we can close on that note. Um, so go serve your king. This has been Not Another Church Podcast with your host, Pastor Tom. Thanks for listening and go serve your king.